0: Welcome to The Lawyer's Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts...
1: I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode two hundred twenty-nine of the lawyerist podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today we're talking with Lawyerist Lab member Jan Glassman about her one-day general counsel offering.
2: Today's podcast is brought to you by Arag, Text Expander and Ruby Receptionist. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned, we'll tell you more about them later on.
1: So this week's topical theme on Lawyerist is around the joint concepts of inbound marketing and content marketing. I'm confident that if you were to Google those two phrases, you would probably be able to distinguish some different definitions, but for purposes of this (laughs) conversation, Conversation, we can just agree that content marketing and inbound marketing are two different ways of approaching the same broader conversation.
2: Yeah. Which is sort of the opposite of the outbound marketing concept, which is basically billboards, right?
1: Billboards, ads, selling. The idea would be that you are creating content. And if you're doing this right, and I think this might actually be the more important distinction, which is less around the inbound versus outbound and more around the concept that the content you're creating in a content marketing, inbound marketing methodology should be content that your prospective clients want. That they, offering... would be, that they would be attracted to and find value from, which would be very different from a law firm blog That is all about all of their case wins. Yeah, it's very value based. The idea we could call it value based marketing. Oh shit, we just came up with a new thing,
2: extra vocab. But the idea being that you put valuable information and things out into the world, and people come for them. And if you have done a good job of putting the right information and ideas out in the world, then there will be a huge overlap on your Venn diagram between people who want the information or the valuable things you're putting out there and the people who you would want as clients.
1: Yeah. So at its most basic, the framework is create content that your prospective clients want that they are attracted to Mm -hmm. so that by putting it out on the internet or in person that it will attract them to your firm, that you then use those interactions to convert them in to paying clients and then you deliver great legal services to them. And that is the inbound marketing methodology. Tactically, what that means is figuring out where your clients are, what they're already reading or consuming, what questions they have that you could provide value to, and then using tools like blog posts, podcasts, public speaking, social media, all as tools to attract your prospective clients to your content.
2: And it kind of sounds tricky, actually, sometimes I think people worry that this is just about, you know, like, here's my thing, but you can't have it until I get your email address, which is a very simplistic and one aspect of content marketing or inbound marketing. But yeah, the goal is be interesting, do valuable things and people will come for it. And when they do, you can begin that relationship.
1: Yeah, I think as an example, it might be useful for you to spend a second on kind of the case study of what you did in your law firm a decade ago, probably (laughs) without even knowing the phrases content marketing or inbound marketing with free content you gave out to prospective clients.
2: I guess in brief, what I did was I wanted to represent people who were sued by debt collectors. And I was frustrated because I kept meeting people who had gotten bad forms, done it themselves, ignored the summons, whatever. And so I started putting a free answer and discovery request out on the internet. And I don't think anybody should be able to argue that that wasn't incredibly valuable. put a ton of time into it. It was better than most attorneys were preparing for thousands of dollars because I had a lot of knowledge in this area. And I made it free because I wanted people to use it because I couldn't represent them if they hadn't answered their lawsuit. And it became a huge source of revenue for that piece of my business because I was helping people before they walked into my door. I was creating trust and authority. And when the next stage came, they would be like, hey, of course I want you to help me. They already think of me as their lawyer,
1: even though I was very careful to disclaim that. Yeah. Whether that exact example applies to your practice or not, I think it's a great lesson for one way with just one simple technique to apply these ideas in your practice. Yeah,
2: I think I have just a teeny bit more I want to say about it, I, because I, I feel like if you've seen my video on Lens, you'll probably have heard this. But I think traditional marketing is all around trying to win the lawyer shopping part, right? Once I know I want a lawyer and you've, I think everyone's heard me say this I'm the before. the best personal yeah. injury lawyer. So most traditional marketing is around trying to win that competition, but inbound marketing is an end around that competition because nobody ever gets to the phase of lawyer shopping because they already have a lawyer in their
1: minds and it's you. And of course you're the first one they're going to come to. I think that's a really awesome distinction to end on.
2: And with that, here's my conversation with Jan Glassman. Ooh.
0: I'm Jan Glassman. My company is Daily General Counsel. We're a social impact law firm making counsel accessible and affordable for small businesses, especially the underserved.
2: Hi, Jan. Thanks for being on the podcast today.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah. So, out of the way you described your firm, I'm curious when you talk about social impact, how does that play into building a business?
0: The origin of the business was to help the underserved community of small businesses, Main Street, urban areas. Who among all business owners were the least likely to use counsel. And over my years of experience as a lawyer, I have learned that business owners who refuse to use counsel, whether because of cost or they're just lawyer averse,
3: mm-hmm. make
0: very bad mistakes, and the impact on their business can be devastating. And so the first target was to figure out how to make counsel accessible and affordable for that community.
2: So you're, I mean, the idea of starting a business feels a little bit contrary to poverty, but I see what you're saying. It's the class of business for whom legal representation is not readily available, or you know, you're early, you're starting up, it's outside your budget. That's the kind of thing we're talking about?
0: Well, that is one aspect, but also just when you get into urban areas where small business owners are doing the very best they can to stay afloat, they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. So they don't realize that they may be getting into an area that has legal implications. Or even if they do, they are lawyer-averse, they're afraid of the cost, they're afraid of the time, the process, and they go bare. They decide they're going to proceed without counsel. They sign leases that they don't understand. They get into contracts that doom their business from the outset. They want to enter into a loan that there is no way that it could be performing. And so with the advice of counsel, even the smallest amount of counsel, we can educate them. We can help them understand how to make better decisions in the future and give them the ability to proceed independently without counsel if we've advised them well on their day-to-day operations.
2: So how big is your firm? My firm is two lawyers. Gotcha. Is it just lawyers then?
0: Just the two of us.
2: Yeah, no uh, independent contractors, nobody else?
0: We actually hired our first independent contractor this week.
2: Eventually, I'm in my soapbox. I'm going to get lawyers to start answering how big is your firm with everyone who works there.
0: (laughs) As of yesterday, we hired our very first independent contractor to assist with a matter that went into litigation. My business partner and I both did litigation in our early days and have not done litigation in a very long time and certainly capable of doing it but this is one where we believe the outside help outsource legal assistance will be perfect.
2: Very cool. So how long has Daily GC been around?
0: I founded Daily GC in January of 2012 spent a couple years um, working on the model testing it trying to get the original model was one day and done only And so I needed to get a number of beta clients who would be willing to go through an entire one day and done, which is eight hours, in which I would go on site, spend eight hours, resolve legal problems. And the only thing I asked for my beta clients was that they would give me feedback. So it took a long time to get enough experience to understand what was really going to work, what kind of processes were critical. And we formally launched what we called our two-sided marketplace in 2014.
2: So what are the two sides of the marketplace?
0: So the two-sided marketplace was that a customer would come to our site and they would see seven one-day-and-done packages, almost Amazon style. They would pick their package of the kind of work they wanted to get accomplished. They would pick their lawyer, which was my partner or me. Mm -hmm. They would pick their date on the calendar. They would click through, read documents, and they would hire us. Half of the fee was paid at the time of booking and the other half, the remaining 50%, was paid when the lawyer arrived at their place of business or their home, their kitchen, wherever the work was going to be done. Gotcha.
2: Okay. So we talked about the overall, the the market need that you saw was this idea of trying to scale the cost of legal services to the stage. And I noticed from your website, you kind of, if you're pre-revenue, there's one price. If you're maybe even pre-formation, there's a different price. And then if you're, you know, once you're making money and cash flowing, then there's a different price. Did I describe that roughly correctly?
0: That's correct. The sliding scale evolved once we realized we were going to include the typical hourly legal. Legal work. At the beginning, we had one product, which was our one day and done, and it was a set price. And then we found that after a lawyer spends eight hours with a business owner and resolves their legal problems... You have a friend for life. Yeah. Not only do they come back for legal work, they invite you to their life cycle events and you invite them to yours and they want you to handle the work.
2: So I'm curious, I've heard of firms that like their approach to this is they'll take an investment or equity in the, in the startup and that's how they're willing to get paid up front. But you've just decided your investment is the long-term relationship with the client?
0: That's correct. We were approached by many startups asking if we would offer that kind of situation. Or there are other packages that some bigger law firms can offer, which is they provide, shall I say, postponed legal fees for nine months or until they get funded, whichever comes first, with the understanding that there may never be any funds to pay that accumulated legal bill.
2: So do you find that some of your potential clients are going to taking advantage of those offers instead of hiring you? And like, do you know, do you have an idea about their thought process on that?
0: Yes, we get, I would say a couple calls a year that tend to come in from VCs, whom we know, who Mm -hmm. recommend that they reach out to us. And they'll call and I know from the beginning, by the way they raise their question, I'd like to know, what you do for startups. Hmm.
3: And so I know
0: they've been shopping and looking at packages. And when I explain that we're we consider ourselves very affordable, far below market rates. When they realize that it does require current payment, then they say, thank you very much, and we're not a good fit.
2: Yeah, you're not looking at sort of the fully leveraged startups. Those aren't your clients. You're looking for people that do have some cash to put up front, but just not all of it.
0: Correct. You know? Or we, we have a number of clients who would love to be funded. Yeah. They are not. And they don't have immediate prospect. That someone is going to fund them to help them pay for their legal costs, and they need to get their entity off the ground. They need to get that first service contract. So, we have many, many clients for whom we have done that work. In the early days, that was our most popular package, which was what we called our new entity day. And in eight hours, the first five hours would be a discussion of what entity is right, client would pay online their filing fee the LLC or the corporation was created, get the EIN number, that took about five hours, that left another three hours to do one other thing. Often it would be either they needed an employment contract, they were making their first hire, or they needed a service agreement. Or someone had sent them an agreement and they needed someone to look, a lawyer to look over it and approve it for them.
2: So I'm curious when you say, because like you've talked about the days and the original concept was built around this idea of a day, which I think is interesting. It sounds like you sort of coordinate your agenda for that day, whether it's a formation day or just an ad hoc, we, we need some help and we're going to try and do it all in a day kind of approach. Can you describe like what's the planning process and then how do you actually run the day?
0: Sure. Sure. And this was an iterated process, which was so beneficial to run Mm -hmm. the betas. And as always, you improve as you move forward. So once the client hired us, we sent them this form, which I call the priority issue identifier. Mm -hmm. And in it, the client would go through, in order of priority, the issue that they want to work on, Any documents that they think they will need and and they're expected to have those documents present and any other parties. We've already done conflicts, but who the key parties are, so we have it all on one sheet. And they can write down up to go beyond four issues if they want. We give them a sample of what this form should look like so that when we get it back, it resembles something that we can work off of. That becomes the roadmap the appointment is confirmed prior to the day of, where are we parking, what time, and reminding them that the balance of the fee is due when we arrive. So the first After the lawyer arrives, the first order of business is the payment that gets taken care of quickly. And then the lawyer and the client sit down and review the order that has been presented to see if that is still the way they want to proceed. Because sometimes they'll say, oh, I got a nasty letter yesterday, or I got served yesterday, or someone quit, or I need to fire someone or some other new problem, Mm -hmm. in which case they get to decide where they want to fit that in. Once the outline for the day is set, we begin on the first issue.
2: And you just kind of get as far as you can?
0: Right. So yeah. what happens often is, let's say it's a legal triage day, and there's four things they would like to go over. They have excessive overtime in the admin suite. Their comp plans are too rich for revenue. They have a cranky customer, and they've got a vendor who's billing them for something that they bought but that was not up to quality that they expected. So we tackle the first item, the comp plan's too rich for revenue. So they want us to zoom in and look at the comp plan and help them figure out a legal strategic way to change comp plans. But in the course of it, they start telling you about something else that may not be compliant, that may in fact be illegal, or that troubles them greatly, but that they've just been denying the the fact that they've got to make some changes. So, that could be a detour that the client wants to take when we finish revising the comp plan. The client can decide, you know what, I I didn't realize how serious this classification problem is, so why don't we move it to number three, let's go on to number two, and before we do the original number three, we're going to do this new issue. If there's nothing new that pops up, we finish it. At the same time, I'm working off of, or the lawyer, other lawyer's working off of, an outline that resembles the form that the client had submitted. But it has lines for us to fill in to indicate the advice given, what the client needs to do, because there's very often action steps to the client.
2: So they're sort of being their own secretary during the day as well.
0: Right. So, And it helps you remember, because it's a very intense day. Yeah, it's as intense as. Being on trial or having a deposition, you are on for eight hours straight, and it's fabulous. And that's what makes it work, is because you don't have any back and forth, no loss of train of thought. It's total focus. Gotcha. How often does that
2: end up spilling over? How often is there more work to be done afterwards?
0: So we've gotten quite good at limiting what can be done in one day. We found that the HR manual was something that spilled over because at the end of the day, the manual was done, but it needed to have what I love to call morning brain to look it over for typos to make sure that everything looks good. Um, it isn't substantive. It's just one last edit. That's one thing that mm-hmm. spills over. The second thing that spills over is we learned that we cannot do an HR manual if there is a management team. We cannot do it in one day. That would be two days. And the reason is that whatever prompts the business owner to finally say, okay, I'm going to revise my manual, I'm going to create it for the first time, there are problems that have been either under the surface or that they have just been fighting fires and not dealing with it appropriately for a long time. And if it's a single owner, they know exactly why they're calling a lawyer. But if you have a team, you have the senior family member who's the absent owner and you have the current operator who's partial owner and you have the day-to-day manager all in the room, it may take four or five hours before policy decisions can be made. And that might be that they're dealing with, what are we doing about telephones? What are we doing about smoke breaks? What are we doing about time off? they will not have prepared adequately. And
2: that's just on them, right?
0: Yeah, and we now know if it's a team, day one is gonna be the process and begin to hammer it out because once you understand what the client wants, drafting it to meet the tone and the culture takes some time.
3: Gotcha.
2: With Text Expander, you don't have to waste time retyping things you've already worded perfectly. Instead, just use gathered snippets of information using simple keyboard shortcuts or custom abbreviations. You can capture the important pieces of your emails, directions, messages, and data as snippets, so you never have to retype them again. From correcting your personal typos and defining industry terms to whole email templates, reusing your info has never been faster, and it works everywhere you type. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad, and now Chrome too. Listeners can get 20% off their first year by visiting textexpander.com podcast. How cool would it be to grow your practice in your preferred area of law without spending any time or money on business development? Now you can with ARAG. When you become a provider on ARAG's network, you'll consult with and represent clients on various legal issues from writing a will to dealing with traffic tickets, bankruptcy, or divorce. ARAG does the rest. They'll make it easy for clients to connect with you and even share client feedback so you can keep growing your business. Best of all, ARAG pays you directly and there are absolutely zero out-of-pocket fees to join the network. So what are you waiting for? Visit araglegal.com slash lawyerist. That's A-R-A-G legal.com slash lawyerist to learn more about the client growth opportunities in your area. Just enter your zip code and area of law to see the number of of ARAG members near you. It all adds up to more potential clients and more opportunities to make money for your firm. Expand your client base right now. In fact, more than 90% of ARAG members say they are more likely to consult with an attorney when something comes up than if they didn't have legal insurance. Check it out at araglegal.com slash lawyerist. That's A-R-A-G legal.com slash lawyerist to get started. There's more to answering a phone call than just pronouncing your name correctly. And I think that's what sets Ruby apart from all the other receptionist services out there. I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of people who work at Ruby, and from top to bottom, it's full of the kind of people you'd love to spend time with. I guess it's something in the coffee they serve. And after all, when someone calls your firm, that means they are going to be spending time with your receptionist. You may think you get to make a first impression when you pick up the phone, but that's not how it works. Maybe your receptionist is just on the call for a minute or two, but that's all it takes to form a first impression. So it's a good idea to make sure your receptionist is the kind of person you'd want your callers to spend time with. It could be the difference between a big case and a big fail. Don't worry, Ruby can handle pronouncing your name right. They'll also help you make a great first impression. And now Ruby can even help you connect with clients right on your website with 24-7 live online chat. You can find out more about Ruby receptionists and how to make a great first impression at callruby.com slash lawyeristpod. How did you decide on the pricing for the Daily GC Day?
0: Two ways. The first was that I asked everybody and anybody who would listen, of people I know, (laughs) uh, people who own businesses, friends, anybody. And the second was that we were very fortunate to get into two different accelerators early on. At that time, there were you, if any, online book your lawyer. And our goal was to expand and get more lawyers. And we got into a couple of accelerators. And then one of them, one of the assignments was that I had to go out and talk to 100 customers without telling them what I do. And since my target was urban storefront business owners, I went to Those neighborhoods, I went to some suburban neighborhoods that were not in downtown Boston, but that met that description. And I would walk in and say, hi, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm taking a class, do you have a few minutes, I'd like to ask you some questions. And I would get them to talk about a problem that they had when they either started the business or they're growing their business and something that went wrong, and what they might do differently. So I didn't say that you didn't use a lawyer. I didn't see that. I just tried to get them to talk. And then they would talk, and then if it sounded like what we're offering would meet their needs, we would then present that question to say, if you could get that problem resolved by a lawyer sitting with you in your office or charge of, would that be of interest to you? Yes. Now, if so, is that something that would be mildly of interest? Or do you think you might do that in the near future?
2: Did what you learned from that turn out to seem about right? Because one of the things that I've found is that when you ask people about pricing, they lie, both to you and themselves, about what they would actually tolerate if they had an actual problem. And I'm just wondering how well those answers predicted people's actual behavior.
0: Looking forward to the results, we got a lot of clients who were very happy to pay it and felt that it met their needs.
2: Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, the number of people who said that they feel like they would pay it in your testing and your surveying, does that roughly work out to the number of people who actually do pay it after having a consult with you or something like that?
0: The answer is no. And there's several reasons. Number one, clients would come to us and they don't need eight hours of work. They liked the idea that they really didn't have eight hours of work.
2: So do you quote them a flat fee then or an hourly fee then?
0: Well, then we would quote that in the early days, we really didn't know what to do. And yeah. ultimately, we decided we needed to have a second offering. Secondly, we found that often it was simply that it was that someone who needed a single owner LLC without giving legal advice to anybody. I'm not sure that. A lawyer needs to do that.
2: You just go down to the secretary of state and put your name on the line and file
0: it. It's it's (laughs) online. You don't need an operating agreement. But as soon as someone needs an operating agreement, even the husband-wife situation, we always urge them that they should do it correctly and they should have an attorney. So there were many people for whom we could have done that work and tried to figure out what else we could tell them they needed. But our goal was not to get people to spend money on legal services if they didn't have to, hoping that the goodwill would be that they'll tell their friends if they need us in the future, they'll come back. And word of mouth and referrals is how we have gotten our business to the point that it is now.
2: So I stopped you in the middle. You were saying you were explaining why you're getting different results from consults that you would have predicted based on who said that they thought the price was right.
0: Right. So I mentioned that they don't need eight hours. Right. I'm trying to think what else. It wasn't cost. It wasn't cost.
2: Yeah. That's kind of one of my running theories is that, you know, there is absolutely outlandish pricing and, and way too cheap pricing. But in the middle, I think there's a lot of variability in fitting the cost to the need or to the tolerance, at least of the customer. Right. I'm curious, do you do any more traditional representations? Like, do you have clients who would look more like a traditional business client where they pay you probably an hourly fee or some flat fees and you have kind of an ongoing relationship where they come back to you and they need work?
0: That is the vast majority of our work these days.
2: It is still. Well, I mean, that's what I'm wondering. So the daily GC is not the core of what you do.
0: It is not. And that is one of the many pivots along the way. And so when we realized that our early one day and then clients started coming back saying, did I tell you that I'm selling my business? Did I tell you that I own commercial real estate? I'm selling it. Did I tell you I'm getting an investor? I just got a term sheet. Can you help me? And we decided we were not going to turn that work away. Mm -hmm. But we also wanted to stay true to our social impact mission, which we deliver on in several different ways. And we designed the sliding scale first for the hourly before we applied it to the one day and Gotcha. So at the very beginning, clients who could afford full freight were still paying our one low rate. And that really didn't make sense to us as a business model. So we started the sliding scale. We have a pre-revenue rate. We have a revenue but not fully sustainable. And then we have our standard rate, which is still well below Boston downtown market rate.
2: But it sounds like apart from the rate, those relationships look fairly similar to what I would expect to see at any other small business firm.
0: Absolutely. And the work is exactly the same. We do business law, we do everything that touches business life, except bankruptcy, IP and IPOs.
2: So is the daily GC day, is that offering is something you think of now more as a way to get future clients in the door? Like that's the beginning of the life cycle for a lot of your long term clients? Not quite a marketing tool, but sort of like a low hanging entry point for people?
0: It is very attractive to people who just somewhat sort of heard about it, Mm -hmm. not getting a direct referral. So if someone heard about us, they were somehow they found us online because we don't do any advertising. I don't focus on SEO. I deliver, my partner and I both deliver a lot of workshops. A lot of people come to us because of our workshops and then they're interested in it. And then ultimately they decide, I don't need eight hours. I really don't need to spend the price that it would be. Yeah, And so whether it's characterized as a lead generator, um, it's still a product that's out there. It's been very random in terms of how frequent we can go months without one and have one two weeks in a row.
2: So how do you think about the daily GC approach then? Is it is the day successful in your mind or is it like, you know, especially when the vast majority of your clients, it sounds like are doing more traditional arrangements. Is it kind of a failed experiment?
0: Um, We think it's great. And the clients think it's great, and it's always an option for them. We have clients who are regular hourly clients, but they may say, I have so many things I want to barrel through. Can you come and let's do a day? I see. And it's outside the traditional billing, Mm -hmm. and they just say, I just want to work on this and get it done. And so there's really no reason to take it off our plate because – It doesn't cost us anything to have it. In the early days, it was a very expensive platform. Right. But now with various software and different platforms, it doesn't cost us anything to offer it other than my time in designing different templates to make it work.
2: So say more about that. I'm curious, like how did you go from sort of having to do the whole thing ad hoc to now? Like what are the tools that really power this and make it possible?
0: So we moved from WordPress to Squarespace. And so, you know, I don't have all of these moving parts that were breaking so that someone would call and say, I'm trying to pay online and I can't get into the payment portal, you know, just things were breaking. Mm -hmm. And so now it's simply, here's who we are, call, you know, send us, we get a lot of emails off of the website or phone calls and Everything that had been automated through the platform, I now automate through Lexicata and Text Expander. I have a very detailed, arduous, but loving onboarding process. And so every single step has or is in the process of gaining a template. And the process is one that takes a lot of my time. But as a result, when clients are successfully onboarded, They understand fully what the delivery of legal services is going to look like, what the costs are going to be, what the payment terms are going to be, and how we operate together. Yeah. So
2: when you think about the daily GC program, like what do you need to improve about it or or what is not working that you're working on next and that you're, what are you going to do with it next?
0: On when you talk about this company as a whole?
2: Well, sure. Yeah. What are the big challenges on your horizon that you're putting your time into?
0: We are very blessed that we are very busy. And I don't want to say at capacity because I also am aware that this can be very (laughs) fragile. You never know when work is going to disappear. So managing growth is my number one concern.
2: That's a good
3: problem to have.
2: And
0: as a result, where we don't want to make outright hires at this point, I am investigating other outsourced resources. I have a corporate paralegal. I have interviewed and done the due diligence, and I think she's terrific, and expect that when the right matter is there that we will begin to do that. The problem, and I assume we're not at all unique, is that you need to have that help teed up before you need it, because once you're in crisis of... Oh my gosh, now how am I going to get this done? You don't have time to do all of the due diligence, the training, the supervision. And on the other side, when you don't need them, you don't want to spend, people don't want to spend the time to get it teed up. So that's what I'm trying to work on now as one aspect of how to manage growth. Right. The other is to create more efficiencies more processes, um, make sure that when we are onboarding that it's a good fit. I'm working on my red flag project. Everybody has their red flags of clients they wish they had not taken or they're glad they didn't and feel they dodged a bullet. But I'm actually injecting this into our onboarding process so that both my partner and I will review this either If there are issues that arise before they have signed up, then it will be done before a proposal is given. Mm. And if we think that it's borderline, then my latest approach on that would be that maybe we will offer to do a stage one and see if it's going to work.
2: The relationship between you and the client.
0: Correct. So there are times when doing the work in phases is not only best for the client and the amount of legal fees they're going to incur, but also for them to understand the scope of what they're about to get into because they don't often understand. And so
2: I really like the idea of a probationary period for clients, but I'm wondering how do you present that to them in a way that isn't off-putting?
0: So this is new. In my thinking about how to deal with a client that's not such a red flag that we're going to say, sorry, you know, here's the number for the local bar association. Mm-hmm. And so I have templates for doing work in stages because people, we do a lot of transactional work. Right. And so in that situation, people need to pay pay a retainer that's applied to the final bill and then they need to pay ongoing and they pay within 10 days. All of our clients have to pay within 10 days. But on a matter that they aren't sure which direction they want to go and therefore they want to understand 15 to 30 pages of documents, then we can give them a proposal that will provide them with a consultation, an analysis strategy, and counsel As to what their options are, and that's what the fee agreement will say. And then it's very specific that anything beyond that we have to agree. Yeah. And having once we complete that, if it's a positive experience for both sides, then we can expand it. And it doesn't have to be expanded with another fee agreement if the retainer's intact and the emails are very clear about what the next scope of work is. But we work off a very precise proposal where we outline the tasks that we've been asked to do, our estimate of the number of hours we expect it will take, the amount of the retainer, and how payment needs to be made.
2: Jen, I, so we've talked about a bunch of different things, and and I, I feel like I let you start talking about some of the software that really forms the backbone of your tech stack when it comes to delivering services. But what did we miss? What are the tools that you just really rely on in your delivering your services?
0: So, Text Expander is by far the one I use the most. Anytime I type something three times, I create a snippet. Mm -hmm. And so when I send someone a proposal, what I was finding is I was looking at three or four or five different proposals and cutting and pasting, and I was ready to shoot myself. (laughs) So I took the time to create a snippet, you know, watching the instructional videos a few times. And so I just type into... Um, I'll do it on a Word doc just so I can look at it. I think it's XPP1, and it pops out an entire proposal with drop-down, fill-in-the-blanks, great to talk to you, and then fill-in-the-blank last week, this week, yesterday. And, you know, based on our conversation, you you have told us that you're looking for and then fill-in-the-blank. As we understand it, you are looking for and then drop down. Here are the four tasks based on the on this, and then there's a fill in the blank. Here's our estimate of hours. And so the proposal is very fast and it used to take a long time. Mm-hmm. So that's one way that I use Text Expander to expedite the process. But that's far down the line. I use Text Expander for, you know, when someone reaches out and says, you know, I'd like to talk to you about your services. I have a snippet for setting a, our step one is a free 20-minute call with me. So I've got a snippet for that. And then once we have that call, if they would like to proceed further, I send them an onboarding with their, they will, they want to get one, yes, I will send it. And we don't do proposals for anyone who doesn't do that. It takes five minutes. And if they don't have a little skin in the game, we're not doing it. We did find in the early days that people would say, oh, I definitely want to do this, send me a proposal, and they would ghost us and we'd never hear from them again. And so this has eliminated a lot of tire kickers. They just don't even want to put in five minutes. So I go to Lexicata, I put in a few key pieces of data, and I have... Building out all the templates in Lexicata was hard. It was very, very hard. They were wonderful in working with me, but it's very time-consuming, but now it's very fast. So I have different onboarding for different situations, depending on um, whether it's a new client who's coming back for a brand new matter, or it's someone who is a very old client and we didn't have them on Lexicata at the time. And I send them the onboarding. Then I have a snippet. Because it's coming from Lexicata, I've had people tell me they didn't get it. It went into spam or something. Half the time I'm doubtful, but in any event, I have a snippet. So part of the process is a separate email. I just sent you the onboarding. Please let me know you received it. Let me know if you have any questions. Then they write back. I got it. Thanks. Then they send the onboarding. Then my partner and I work on a proposal. Then I send the proposal, and that's straight out of Text Expander. And then I follow the proposals coming from email, so that doesn't need a snippet. Proposal stays open for 20 days. We have not yet had any reason to follow up with someone who doesn't hire us because we're so busy. And at one point that made me very anxious, but now I've come to accept that it's a blessing. We're really busy and we'll focus on the people who want us. So then when a client writes back and says, this proposal is fine, please send me a fee agreement. Then I go back into Lexicata. I make sure that all the other terms are in, and then I spit out a fee agreement.
2: So is it Lexicata, Text Expander, and and Squarespace? Are that's what you use to run your firm? And Cleo. And Cleo. Okay. Very so, cool. So
0: you know, once the I mean, I use other tech, but that is what really runs it. So then once I send the fee agreement, because that's coming from Lexicata, I again send a through a snippet. You know, I sent you the fee agreement. Now, the other thing that we do is that when someone says, yes, send me a fee agreement, we've learned over time in managing client expectations that a client might wait a long time to send it in just because they're busy. That's number one, why we limit it to 20 days. But more importantly is they wait two weeks and then at nine o'clock on Friday morning, they sign the agreement, they always law pay, they pay online, and then they call me or write me and say, I just signed the agreement, and I paid, and my partner's going to be the one to handle it, Joel, and they'll say, can I talk to Joel now, like this minute, and that is so not possible with our schedule, so totally not even in the realm of possibility. So what I do now is when I when someone gives me the go-ahead that they accept our proposal and our terms and want me to send a fee agreement, I then send them, um, I tell them, that's great, I'll be sending it out, and I I give myself 24 to 36 hours to get it done. I used to say I'm going to get it done today, but that's, number one, not always realistic, and number two, it sets up unrealistic expectations of speed. But at that point... I tell them, because Joel's schedule fills up quickly, I'd like to offer you a choice of two slots for your kickoff call next Monday at 10 or Tuesday at 3. And we're, we're happy to hold these slots open for 20 hours. And it assumes that by the time of that kickoff call that the paperwork and retainer are completed. And that way, we're not holding up anybody's schedule And they have a clear expectation that if they get the fee agreement that afternoon, they know that they have a slot next Tuesday and they're happy. And so I've done an end run around their disappointment that they had in their head that as soon as they paid, was off to the races. And we're very fortunate to be busy. And that's why that's not possible.
2: So Jan, why don't we close with some thoughts? So you've gone down a few different roads on how to build a small firm, small business practice. If somebody came to you today and said, hey, I want to learn how to do things in a better way. I, I want to learn from your experiences. What would be the core of the advice that you'd give them?
0: It would be to understand that you are running a business, And that if the person does not have a background in finance and business management, to learn it, to study, to read as many books as they can, listen to podcasts, both on legal practice as well as just business management, and understand that if they're starting off on their own, they are CEO, they're VP of sales, they are CFO, CMO, and they need to be able to figure out how to get all of that done while going out and getting clients and to be very careful about the customer experience. And I think that one of the transformative things for me in going through accelerators was that, yes, a client is a nicer way of saying customer, but when you focus on someone as a customer and the customer experience and the empathy that you need to have It helps you understand their needs and how you can best position yourself to be the person to meet those needs, if in fact it's a good fit, and to make sure that you are prepared to talk about payment. It's something that a lot of people have trouble asking to get paid, and the sooner someone jumps on that, the better. There's a great quote that my partner says from his prior um, law firm days, someone taught him, which is, it's much better not to work and not get paid than to work and not get paid. And so people are, they so desperately want the work that they're afraid to ask for money. And I would say if that is your concern, you've got to figure out another way to get the money while you grow your business, but spend your time instead of working for free, you can find, if you want to do legal work for free, go do it for a nonprofit whose interests match yours. So you get relevant experience, you get exposure, you get referrals.
2: Yeah, working for free pro bono work is not the same as not getting paid.
0: <laughs> exactly, because you're not a off a
2: bill you're owed is not pro bono. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Thanks so much, Jan Glassman. It's been a pleasure having you on today.
0: Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure.